Welcome to the Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. On the Advertising Show is being brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. Visit online at adage.com. And also by Walter Carl Interactive at waltercarl.com. The Advertising Show, a big radio midget production with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsythe. And our special guest interview needs a special guest, right, Brad? Oh, yeah. And his name is Bob Gilbreth, uh, author of Compel, How to Get uh, Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. Okay? Or just and, think. Uh, and act differently. Well, if no, they think correct. differently, they're going to act differently. That's like. correct. He founded a worldwide organization, uh, cha uh, Change Practice for Accenture, the largest consulting firm, has addressed the business and industry groups in 35 nations in six continents. Man, he must speak a lot of different languages. We'll have to ask him about that, too. Hmm. So, anyway, Bob is with us out of Atlanta this weekend. And uh, we'll be uh, bringing Bob on for three segments, and we hope you stay with us here at the Advertising Show. Also looking forward to, in just a few minutes, uh, hearing from uh, Jeffrey Gittimer talking about something called The Sixth Sense. It's not the movie. It's another thing. And Patrick Meyer out of New York, our marketing insider, uh, talks about a career in marketing. And we'll see what that is all about because that's what Patrick decided to do. So how are you doing? Well, I'm doing great. And, uh, you know, I've got an item here I wanted to mention to our uh, Listeners, but before I do that, I, I need to qualify. You you still watch uh, reruns of Hee Haw, don't you, Ray? <laughs> uh, on Great well, American Country, or no? There's there's a there's a network called RFD. I don't know whether you've seen it or not. No, I haven't. But you know, the the rich are indeed uh, different in many ways, and and one of the uh, ways they're different is how they watch TV. Among the, uh, some of the favorites of the well-heeled uh, set are the are ABC's. Saturday Night Football, no surprise there. What right. About Brian is another uh, uh, highly sought-after, high-end uh, program, along with NBC's Friday Night and 30 Rock. I'm a fan of 30 Rock. That's I don't know if I show. qualify from a financial standpoint, but yeah. uh, all four shows rank in the top 15 among affluent viewers, while none are higher than 80th among general households, which I thought was kind oh. of interesting. This according to Magna Global. But what's really interesting about this is from a... Uh, uh, from a mass appeal where both the affluent and the general viewing public uh, mm -hmm. tend to uh, shore up and, and be equal, yeah. desperate, desperate housewives. Really? So that means uh, both the women that don't have any money and women that have a lot of money are watching Desperate Housewives because they can all relate to it, <laughs> okay. I suppose. But from a network standpoint, uh, NBC has uh, slid from first to fourth uh, in overall uh, 18 to 49 Which viewers, but, yeah. but yet they're number two and median household right behind ABC. So they're more of a qualitative network, I guess, uh, in the more affluent crowd and uh, do not do well in terms of mass numbers, but uh, whatever. It sounds like a desperate attempt by the networks to try and figure out who the heck is watching. And qualify and, and sell more quality, I suppose. Here, yeah. Just to verify, just to uh, give a gauge here, Ray. ABC's audience uh, median income is sixty-four grand. Okay. And that's twenty-five fifty-four adults compared to NBC at sixty, CBS fifty-nine, Fox fifty-three, and the CW yeah. forty-five grand per <laughs> year. 
need a job. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, that would be certainly helpful to find those folks uh, with with that uh, those stats, Brad. Absolutely. It's but, a big you know, difference. Right? Yeah, yeah, really, there is. Uh, uh, something else. This is out of the Wall Street Journal, by the way. Um, Emily Steele is the author. It says TV networks have finally discovered the value of the college student. Speaking of people who don't make a lot of money. But cost yeah. a lot, right? Uh, with Nielsen Media Research now including college students living away from home and its TV rating survey. Well, why shouldn't they? Some networks are starting to use attention-grabbing market campaigns to boost ratings among the campus crowd. Uh, for instance, uh, as you mentioned, the CW uh, is throwing costume parties uh, themed to TV shows, staging events at frat houses and spring break hotspots to polish their image with students. Hmm. These are the people. What did you say they're making how much? I well, CW, CW 45. 45, I doubt yeah. that. Animal House, crowd, <laughs> yeah. Animal House crowd now has a voice. As Rick Haskins, executive VP of marketing and brand strategy for the CW, a joint venture between Warner Brothers Entertainment and CBS uh, that launched last fall. So they're finding hmm. out that college students do spend money. However, it's not their money. It's their parents' money. Right. Uh, that, that's usually the way it works, isn't it? Right. Yes, exactly. All so. those bumper stickers that say "me and my, you know, Go to child's exactly. money" or "my child and my money." Yeah. <laughs> Unless you were really smart a long time ago, that's usually what happens, and it's yeah. certainly not from some trust fund or something like that. It's coming from the, uh, the Mastercard, Visa, and American Express, all maxed out to the hilt. Right. Unfortunately, hey, we've as got opposed to when you and I were young, it went, came from HFC, Household Finance Corporation. Never borrow money needlessly. needlessly. But when you want to go into debt and ruin your credit, that's call a good us. way to start. Exactly. Yes. In fact, we'll make you pay for the call. We don't even have an 800 toll free. <laughs> Jeffrey Gittimer is with us here at the Advertising Show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. Let's listen. Quick takes on sales and customer relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. You know the five senses, but you may not know the sixth sense. It's the sense of selling. So when I say come to your senses, what I'm talking about are your sales senses. How do you sell? Many are untrained and go by their gut feelings. Many say, I just go through the process instinctively. Well, I don't know how you sell, but I hope you don't decide to switch and go into brain surgery. The answer is using your inside senses. If you're in control of these senses and the dominant senses you radiate are positive, then people will buy from you. You'll make sales. Lots of them. Where do your inside senses come from? Well, your mind controls the senses that lead you to sales success. They're the positive senses that lead to positive results. No brain surgery there. Balancing, by definition, is delicate. Counterbalancing is even more delicate. It's a simultaneous act of chasing away the negative senses and focusing on the positive ones. The great news about sales senses is you're in control. You can convert negative into positive with a combination of dedication to lifelong learning and the achievement of a positive mental attitude. These studies will lead to taking positive actions. Don't fear that you won't make the sale. Anticipate that you will make the sale. That's a mental choice that you make. And it's a sense that you have when you walk in to the sale. And what you want to do is turn cents into dollars. 
quick takes on sales and customer relations from the Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. Jeffrey has a weekly uh, Wednesday, well, it's not a Wednesday, it's a Tuesday letter. It's called the Sales Caffeine, and you can sign up free on his website for that. It's got a lot of good stuff uh, coming from yeah. Jeffrey Gittimer. It's great to have him as a part of the advertising show as well. Bob Gilbreth, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. Hmm. Now, if they're behaving and acting well, do you want them to change? No, probably not. But uh, well, you probably give them a chance to uh, get better at what they do. Acting differently would mean not asking for a raise, but continue to be a top performer. That would be the younger demographic, okay? <laughs> That's true. That's exactly. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ray, you're a big rock and roll fan, aren't you? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And didn't you live in Cleveland at one time? Yes, I did. Well, if you if you can't watch the Cleveland Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions on television, you can now get it on AOL. Oh, really? Yeah. How cool is that? It's a great place. I think there are some hard rock cafes that have better exhibits, but that's for another show. (laughs) Yeah, that's back in just a minute with more. This just might be your business. Hello. Anybody hear me? Your message might be missing the eyes and ears of your best customers and prospects. Those who are online. I'm talking, but what I really need to be doing is talking online. With on-target email list recommendations, the industry's most comprehensive email prospecting database, strategic interactive advertising solutions, and proven strategies for finding your new customers online to the tune of about 500 active partners, all of a sudden, hello, I'd like to talk to you. You've connected with your customers and prospects in a new and dynamic way. Wow, this is kind of cool. Walter Carl Interactive, a powerful e-marketing solutions provider that can make your next online advertising push a big success. Walter Carl Interactive, with over 8 million quality B2B and over 130 million consumer email addresses. Interactive marketing, multi-channel strategies, e-marketing databases, online customer acquisition solutions. Walter Carl Interactive. Go to W-A-L-T-E-R-K-A-R-L.com. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. No matter what shape your stomach's in. That's more of that product placement, Brad, for the snacks that we leave in our virtual green room for our mm-hmm. guest. Along with that, we have uh, Pepto-Bismol. Uh, <laughs> It's hard to wash down those uh, fried pork skin rinds. Bob Gilbreth is our special guest out of Atlanta, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. Bob, it is a pleasure to have you here on the advertising show. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure, too. Yeah, and, you know, Ray and I get uh, a lot of books through major publishers around the world, and uh, this being published by Wiley. We get a lot of Wiley uh, authors as well, and I've got to tell you, it's outstanding read, great book. I highly recommend it, and we don't have authors on uh, for the most part, unless we recommend them or unless they pay us a huge amount of money. In Bob's case, he didn't pay us a penny. But uh, one or two. Well, that's Bob's true. So far, we do. Yeah. Well, uh, Bob, I'm curious. Uh, compel. Quite an intriguing uh, title, if I might say so. I'm curious. Could the words uh, force or manipulation be interchanged with the word compel as far as uh, uh, the theme of your book here? 
No, not really. Uh, compelling is about attracting people to a cause that you have and getting them to act on it. And uh, it, it, I think, um, you know, it, it's like any form of power, and power being defined by getting others to achieve outcomes that you want. It can be used for good or evil. I try to stick to the good part, but once in a while in the book I'll tell about how it's misabused or misused right. or abused. Right. And, you know, I think uh, th that's a, a, a good point. I think most people tend to think if you're compelled to do something that you've been, you know, forced or, or manipulated to do something against your will. But you do do a great job of explaining from, a, I guess, a leadership standpoint how to, how to use uh, a lot of your techniques to your benefit. Curious, Bob, who's your target audience? Who should be reading this book? Well, uh, first of all, it's a business market. So people who are in any, any kind of leadership position, supervisors, managers, executives, and so forth. But I try to salt in uh, some lessons that also apply to uh, just about everyone. And, you know, all of us are in the advertising game to some extent. We've all got to get others um, attracted to what we like to have done, whether it's our children, our neighbors, our community, our government, what have you. Um, so anyone who wants to leverage their ability through others needs to learn some of the tips in the book. Yeah, and I'm curious, if you're a manager or a corporate leader, is is having a compelling nature kind of inbred or genetic? or can, Is this a quality that can be acquired and cultivated on your own? I think it is. I think it's something that you can learn, and, and I've spent about 35 years watching good and bad ones all around the world and seeing if there's any trends, any sort of patterns that they follow, and I found some and put them in the book. Um, I think it can be learned, and the sad part is that there are, just thousands of well-intentioned, highly educated, and highly motivated people who fail at this. And I don't know where they learn it. I mean, I don't think there's uh, that many leadership courses in uh, MBA programs. Um, but there are characteristics and techniques that can be applied to leverage your ideas through others. So, yeah, short answer, yes, you can learn it. Yeah, and, you know, we're going to get into some of the techniques that you describe in the book. I want to just lay a little uh, ground, a uh, little foundation here before we get into that. You know, I, I think that um, a lot of people today understand about getting a buy-in from those who will be carrying out responsibilities to accomplish a particular goal within a corporate structure. But, you know, in, in 2007, many managers just tell employees what they want them to do and, and don't bother really explaining things and, uh, many of the techniques that you suggest in your book, they, they just don't seem to have time or are not investing the kind of time that it takes to, to get uh, employees to, to buy into a, an idea or a goal so that they can carry out. Do you find that that is the case today? Oh, I sure do. Uh, and, you know, we, you can let's start with the first part of your comment about how people tend to just tell others what to do. And you might get compliance, but you certainly won't get innovation or creativity or excitement. And there's a significant difference between what people have to do and what they want to do. And uh, the trick to being compelling is to tap into that want factor, to get them not only to go along with your ideas and buy into them, but champion them, support them, you know, right. and, and help you spread it through others. So there's a bit of magic in it, but uh, at base, just like any good music, good novels, good movies, there are certain types of techniques that are used that most people can learn. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I would imagine getting an upbeat uh, staffer to, to join in on achieving a common goal is never difficult. There's certain types of people out there that are always ready to get behind the cause. But I would think the bigger challenge is the, the less excitable personality, someone that's uh, just not their nature to get too excited about uh, anything in particular. How do you motivate these types? Well, you're, you're exactly right. No sense in 
spending a lot of management capital or leadership attention on the people that are going to jump on board and be your supporters and did. On the other extreme, there's going to be a certain percent, I don't know, five, ten, you name it, who just don't care and don't want to do anything. So forget about those. There's all the folks in the middle, that vast majority, 75, 80 percent, that are kind of sitting on the fence. They can go through the motions and sort of be zombies and work to do what has to be done, or you can work with people who do what you want to have done. And, you know, he, uh, Ray, uh, Bob could be doing a commercial for, uh, would it be Sprint? Something like that, yes. Yeah, exactly. we're, we're having a little occasional difficulty there with your yeah, signal. Uh, you take the, what do we have, a couple minutes left here, yeah, Ray? Yeah, we do, yeah. Yeah. You take the concept of leadership, Bob, and you break it down into four parts. Could you share with us uh, uh, each of these parts and describe uh, each one, if you would, please? Yeah, the first is a message that is communicating uh, what you want to have excitement out to other people. And there's all different types of elements to a good message. But the number one I like to point out here is what I call the invitation. It's grabbing them by their attention strands. And, you know, in business today, the shortage is not of time or money or talent. It's attention. We're all dragged off in many different directions, trying to pay attention to all sorts of things. You've got to dominate that, that uh, field of vision, that mind share. So a good invitation to get them tuned into and have them not want to drop off what you're saying and what you're proposing. I use the term compel because I think that you know teaching is great, influencing is even better, but compelling is best. And you compel people when they not only understand and appreciate what you're saying, but they get behind it and want to make it happen as soon as they can. Makes sense. So, uh, so and I'm sorry, go ahead, Bob. Well, I was just going to say that that's just the message chapter. A lot of people think compelling is about public speaking or writing well. Uh, that's just a start. I mean. You know, you can uh, you can teach and tantalize people all you want, but if you can't get them to move from where they are to where you want them to be, then you're probably a little more than sort of an inconsequential tease. So you've got to not only have a good message, but you've got to set up an environment that helps them excel. Here's where a lot of other leaders fail. They think that their job is to test people, to see if they can make it into the future, to find out who's got it and who doesn't. Yeah. I leave that to the recruiters. I say once they're in the organization, our job as leaders is to get them to that future. Which uh, and we're, we have two other uh, topics that we're going to save till next segment. But of the two that you've just mentioned, the messaging, the invitation, and the environment to excel, any one of those two more difficult, or are they both equally important? Yeah, I, I think probably uh, the environment is more difficult because it takes longer. It's more than just a speech or a well, you know, some sort of a message. It's got to take uh, understanding of the culture, understanding the social conditions that people are working in and all the forces and factors that affect their ability to perform the way you want them to perform. Special guest here on the Advertising Show is Bob Gilbreth, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. With Ray Shillings and Brad Forsythe here on the Advertising Show, powered by Shippel.com. It's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. Ed and his crew do an incredible job with a platform called Tendency. It's a, kind of a cool web marketing platform. Check it out. At Shibble.com. And we'll be back with more of the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth in just a minute. Why do more media professionals read IWantMedia.com? IWantMedia.com features reports from industry leaders and media personalities. IWantMedia.com gives you quick access to news, stats, trade orgs, and industry publications, and it's updated daily. Forbes says IWantMedia.com contains everything media professionals need to stay ahead of the game. The Washington Post calls it the source for the serious media geek. Do you get it? If you don't, you should. 
To sign up for free daily email alerts, visit IWantMedia.com. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. Give way to your heart, your spirit soul. With Northwest Airmanship. <laughs> That's a blast from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, elegant air travel. That does not equate. Uh, Bob Gilbreth is our special guest, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. Bob, welcome back to the Advertising Show. Thank you. Yeah, before we take the uh, final two of the four parts that uh, you break down the uh, concept of leadership, I want to circle back around on on the two that you set up already. Uh, You were ending last segment talking about how the uh, environment to excel, setting that up for uh, your employees, that that this really is probably one of the, the more difficult of the two that you've laid out so far. And it sounds like what you were saying there towards the end was that you have to know your staff on a on a more personal level and I'm, I'm if I heard you correctly and if that's the case I'm wondering how do you get there and can a manager does a manager have to invest the kind of time that it takes to get to know someone beyond just a a face and a name and an employee so to speak good question you know not quite uh, get to know them personally but know what forces and factors affect their life uh you know, the environment is not just a backdrop or an empty stage upon which your wishes are carried out. It, it has a tremendous impact on whether people move in the direction you want them to or not. Sometimes it helps, sometimes it, it hinders them. So what would one be some ex- – I'm curious, real quickly, some examples of forces and factors that affect one's life. What, what are, what are well, some of those? Well, not only the workplace, you know, the office, the cubicles, wherever they're sitting and working, the equipment they have, the folks that they work with, the social network, uh, their pay and, and uh, incentive programs. Um, all of those uh, combined in, in, into what I call the environment. And they react not to all of those. They react to certain models that they have in their heads that they carry mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Here's an important point. Most people don't manage their life. They manage some sort of a model of it. You know, CFOs, chief financial officers, don't really manage money. They manage budgets and cash flow projections. Uh, HR people don't really manage people or humans. They manage organization charts and compensation levels and things like that. All of us have models. So when you get people to, to do something differently, you probably have to disrupt a model that they're comfortable with. And, uh, you know, that's pretty dicey stuff. you got to know uh, what it is and what are the rules that work within it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, that's interesting. And, and I want to also go back to the messaging that you talked about, the invitation to uh, to uh, uh, join in and be a part of a, uh, achieving a common goal. One of your quotes in your book, Bob, you, you mentioned uh, people aren't logical, and logic isn't logical. And you also share a little story about NASCAR. Share that with our audience, if you would, please. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a common mistake of executives and business managers is to use logic, and first of all, to try to show how smart they are. But secondly, to say, hey, if, if I can present this case and people need what, what I'm uh, proposing, they'll go for it. Well, people don't do what they need. They do what they want, and there's a vast difference between the two. Every advertising person probably knows the difference is that they'll buy what they want. They may be interested in what they need. Uh, NASCAR, biggest growing sort of sport in the country, uh, really, really fulfills no need. I mean, there's not a need to burn excess fuel or to wear out tires or to use empty racetracks. And there's no social need there. 
people go to it by the hundreds of thousands because they mm-hmm. want to. They want to. Mm-hmm. They want to share in the excitement. They want to cheer on their heroes. They want to be part of a joint happening. Want moves people a heck of a lot more than need does. Right, and that's interesting because who would think that uh, if you were to describe a NASCAR concept, you know, 20 years ago, and 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 say that it would become as popular as it is today, I think most people wouldn't believe you. And, and the third uh, uh, of the four-part concepts uh, behind leadership, I guess, is the development stage that you talk about. Well, uh, let me talk about uh, developing people from interested observers to passionate actors. Okay, and. Uh, the best way that I know of doing that is to tap into what's called the expectation gap. It's a very powerful tool. Most people expect things to be better into the future. The ones that don't, that are just going through the motions, you're probably not going to have much impact on them. Folks who want to keep things as they are, that is, preserve the status quo, don't make any changes, they don't want to see that yearning for something new, that expectation to exist, so they sort of suppress the gap. The, uh, the magic of being compelling is to stretch out an expectation gap. And by that I mean the difference between where folks are and where they really could be. A good example is, uh, you know, they have these summer camps where they take uh, kids from the, the ghetto and take them out to the country, and they get to, right. uh, you know, right. enjoy the fresh air and, and, and be entertained and educated and so forth. They're creating an expectation gap for those kids, saying here's what you probably never imagined you could be, it's real. It's achievable. And that glimpse into what could be is uh, a g- great way to get people motivated to start changing to achieve it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting. But it wouldn't, you know, I tend to think that the vast majority of people would expect things to be better in the future than they are now. So you're suggesting there's a significant number that, that either are neutral about it or think negatively in that regard. Well, yeah, there's a few, but I, I think it's a human trait to hope and expect things to be better. So sure, yeah. that's something you can really tap into. Right. That's um, good. Whether you leverage that or not depends on whether you want to make things happen or not. Yeah. We've got uh, Bob Gilbreth, our special guest here on the Advertising Show, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. We've got another segment with Bob coming up here with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth at theadvertisingshow.com. Great website. Check it out uh, often and uh, right now. How can 18 different companies all sell the exact same thing known as water? It starts here in Advertising Age, the leading source for marketing, advertising, media, and ideas. For almost 75 years, we've covered the most thought-provoking, groundbreaking stories in the industry, giving you the competitive edge to be a leader. Your job demands you not only have good ideas, but great ideas. And those great ideas have to start somewhere. And that somewhere is in the pages of Advertising Age and also online at adage.com. How can you get someone's attention if you don't have $10 million in a celebrity endorsement? It starts here in Advertising Age, the leading source for marketing, advertising, media, and ideas. For almost 75 years, we've covered the most innovative and groundbreaking stories in the industry, giving you the competitive edge to be a leader. The next big idea demands out-of-the-box thinking. Start your search for greatness in the pages of Advertising Age and also online at adage.com. Simplifying the complex world of advertising. To reach Ray and Brad with your questions, log on to theadvertisingshow.com. This is The Advertising Show. Men, nothing takes it off like Noxima medicated cheese. <laughs> 
We're going to keep everything on here, okay? Thank you very much. It's Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth at the Advertising Show. Bob Gilbreth, our special guest for one final segment, author of Compel, How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. And, Bob, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, great book, uh, Amazon.com and, and your local bookstore. I'm sure you can uh, pick up a copy, and Ray and I do uh, recommend this book, uh, published by Wiley, by the way. So if you're interested, certainly uh, check it out. It's a great read. Uh, you describe something called the J-curve, Bob, and uh, Shaping yeah. Minds. Tell us a little bit about this idea. Well, that's, that's that uh, difference between um, rising expectations and reality. And once expectations start to get way ahead of reality, the energy for change grows. If it doesn't, if you're getting exactly what you want, then you're perfectly satisfied. So why why change anything? Why get out of a rut? The J-curve tells us that once you get to a certain extreme, tension builds up, and people are dissatisfied with the way things are, and they'll make tremendous they'll take tremendous uh, action to change it. And that's power to a compelling person. Hmm. That, that is interesting, and you know you, your uh, your book towards the end you you wrap it all up by talking about uh, groupthink as a as a concept as a as a component of leadership. First of all, uh, share with our audience the idea behind groupthink. Groupthink is just sort of a shorthand way of saying that the network of uh, social pressures that apply to everyone in your target audience, uh, normal standards, norms of behavior, that type of thing. Uh, reputations, uh, people's opinions of each other, and how they reinforce or or don't when change starts to happen. Uh, very very complicated, and I don't try to become you know a sociologist here, but I do say it's it's important to know that you can use groupthink to motivate people. You can use it positively and negatively. And uh, think of the words that we use in everyday language when it comes to celebrating someone. You know, they're honored, they're feted, they're celebrated. Uh, on the other hand, if they're not doing well, they're shunned, they're neglected, they're uh, turned out from society. We don't leave the light on for them, that type of thing. The the best example of groupthink is to use witnesses, to get people within those groups to start being ambassadors for your cause. A lot of times they're there and they're neutral and they're not really activated. Compelling people know how to find them and how to put them to work. So getting uh, getting people within the group to get others to line up to be a part of the uh, common goal, is that what used to be called peer pressure? Good, good way to say it. You know, it's, it's an old-fashioned term, but I think it fits. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I guess what you're saying is is typically I think when most people think of peer pressure, it's something that just happens. It's not really... Uh, uh, done in any kind of controlled uh, environment, but you're suggesting with groupthink that it's something that's actually, as you would say, leveraged and, and, and works towards uh, uh, getting the group to all line up towards the common goal, correct? That's right, and uh, you can you can engineer it to, cert- to a certain extent. You know, buried within these crowds are people who can actually be activated, you need to find them and put them to, to work. Um, but this takes a tremendous amount of effort. It's it's much more than just delivering a message and running away and hoping everybody gets it the same way and acts on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the job just starts when the message is delivered. You've got to work and engineer and leverage everyone that's, that's listening to you. You know, you, you, uh, you, it's, it sounds like we're talking about, you know, getting, obviously, people to, to do what you want them to do, but to feel good about it and to be a, you know, feel like they're electing to, to be a part of a, 
achieving uh, common goals for the company. And you, you have something that you describe or that you call, I should say, the control theory. And what hit me when I was reading your book is that there just seems to be a tendency for people to be a little bit hesitant when it comes to being controlled. After all, they suggest that you know one of the main sources of stress is feeling like you're not in control. So, so how do you go about this, Bob? Yeah, I, I think uh, maybe the word control has a negative connotation. It's something from the outside that forces you to do what you might not want to do. Uh, I use it in an entirely different way, and it's you can control your future. People can con- control where they go and how well they do. If they see the benefits of their actions early, if they understand how well they're doing or how poorly they are, if they're ahead or behind the schedule. So having visibility for them, not for you watching them no, uh, necessarily, but having them know how well they're doing and what they need to do next helps them control the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, yourself uh, in your career, any particular leaders that uh, by name or, or by business that we would know that have been a major influence over you, Bob? Well, uh, you know, Warren Bennis, one of my favorite writers on leadership, would be one. Uh, now, there's a fellow there out of Dallas, Texas, called Price Pritchett, who I work with. Uh, Dr. Pritchett, a psychologist, writes a lot of books on change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'll tell you where I learned the most was uh, working with these major corporations and governments around the world that do it wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, a good portion of this book is what not to do, right. yeah. what right. uh, potholes and pitfalls to avoid. And can I, can I give you one quick one? Oh, sure. we got about yeah, a minute left. Just know that people must fail in order to succeed. They've mm-hmm. got to fail at what they're doing to succeed at what you want them to do. So be right. prepared for a drop in productivity, perhaps a drop in efficiency, while you're trying to climb that next mountain. And don't be uh, timid or bail out during that period. And on that note, Bob, we wish you the best of luck and continued success with your book, Compel How to Get Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. Go out and find the book and grab it. It's, It's worthwhile. Bob, thanks for being with us here at The Advertising Show. Thank you, guys. Back in just a minute with more. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Got a little splash here and there, right? Exactly. Old Spice. <laughs> Classic spot. And really kind of a cool tune, too, as a matter of yeah. fact. Thanks uh, so much to our uh, friend Bob Gilbreth out of Atlanta, author of Compel, How to Get the Others in Your Organization to Think and Act Differently. It all starts with getting them to, well, basically what he's saying is to buy into what you're doing. And that's, it's a simple concept. Um, so uh, we hope you get a chance to read Bob's book. Mark Gobi is author of Brand Jam, and he's going to be with us next week. That ought to be fun as well, Brad, right? Oh, yeah. Anything. We have, it's been a while since we've had a brand uh, branding expert on the show, and it's always a great topic. We like to revisit from time to time, and uh, it's going to be great to have him on the show. I'll talk about uh, Starbucks here, as we are big Starbucks fans. Did you know they grew in just 10 years, 1,000 hmm. to 13,000 stores, and they're suggesting that it might be a little bit of a problem. Yeah. I'll talk about that in just a minute with uh, Patrick Meyer on the way here. Is that right? Yeah, Patrick's coming up next on the Advertising Show. Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. I was recently talking on a panel, and a member of the audience asked me this question. If marketing and advertising are moving so quick and things are falling by the wayside and new technologies and new innovations are coming, where do you think a career in marketing and advertising should be now? 
I said, I think that advertising and marketing as we know it from the 80s and 90s is dead. Although most people, many on Madison Avenue, have no clue. And yet, marketing 2010 is alive and well. There are so many new places to go and to thrive. So my message to the audience was simple. I said, it's about reinventing yourself and reconnecting yourself to the front edge of marketing. If you're really passionate and you really want to grow and succeed, I said, you need to identify where are you, what are your skill sets, and how can you get to what's breaking? And then I listed a couple areas. First, I said, if I was a creative, I would try and get to what I call Content Express. I would want to be where fresh, topical content is being created and being pumped out in new forms. If I was a client in marketing or in brand management, I would get my stripes quick, learn the fundamentals, and then get myself to those places where it's breaking wide open and be there as it cracks wide open. And there are other areas that may offer potential. Experiential marketing, new ways to connect to consumers in their world. And lastly, creating new agencies or new companies, new boutiques, a handful of people going off and creating a whole new model because that's what marketers want. They want solutions and ideas. They don't want big infrastructure. So it's a simple thought. Reinvent yourself, reconnect yourself with where marketing's going. 2010's not far off. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing. I'm Patrick Meyer. And remember, the marketing revolution is now. Looking forward to our guest next week, Mark Gobi, author of Brand Jam. And uh, talking about brands, the Starbucks brand. Listen, they got a mm -hmm. good product. It's great. It's a wonderful place to go. But there was a memo uh, that <laughs> was uh, uh, kind of uh, put out to the general public that came from the uh, the president, the, the big guy. Yeah, uh, and Schultz. It's, yeah, Schultz. He's, he expressed regret over a series of decisions that, in retrospect, it led to the watering down of the Starbucks brand and experience and what some might call the commoditization of our brand. Mm -hmm. Some people, uh, say Schultz, uh, even call our stores sterile, cookie-cutter, no longer reflecting the passion our partners feel about our coffee. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And what they're saying, this is out of the L.A. Times, says the memo was seen as a rare example of brutal executive candor. Hmm. Uh, Don't yeah. see that often, huh? Yeah, exactly. But uh, the memo is interesting. They say it's useful nonetheless because it shows that even an iconic company that serves a highly addictive product can water down the immense value of its brand by expanding too far and too fast and in too many directions at once. Yeah. So now what to do about that? Uh, I'm sure they're at work, uh, hard at work trying to figure that out. You in know, the meantime, it's, it's a great brand. Well, it is a good brand, but at least the guy's smart enough to come clean with some changes that they've made. And, you know, it's interesting. We talked about this a few years ago. I was all upset when they went from making the, you know, the, the lattes and the coffee where you do it by hand. Right. And then they had certain stores that began to transition to those automatic uh, coffee espresso makers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, now you can't find any of the hand-done espresso. It's done all automatic, and Schultz had enough, uh, uh, enough uh, whatever, uh, yeah. to come out and say, you know, we need to get back to that. Because I always complained thinking that, you know, you sucked me in on the hand-done, you know, exactly. put the thing in, and then you go to the auto thing. It's, it tasted differently, and it was just kind of a... Well, I don't know. I'm, well, he I, said, I didn't like it. Yeah. He said we solved a major problem in terms of speed and service and efficiency, obviously, by doing the auto espresso machines. But Schultz notes that they overlooked the fact that they would remove much of the romance in the mm -hmm. theater that was in play uh, with the use of the uh, espresso machines. So, he, hmm. you know, now 
you know, that goes without saying. As you grow something like that, you, you do run can't into can't change the, the concept. Yeah, you can't change the concept of what you base it on. And it's a, like I say, a, uh, hats off to him to be a CEO of a major company and a great brand and be willing to talk about shortcomings. Way to go, Bob. Way to go. We've got uh, next week uh, Mark Govey, author of Brand Jam, coming up. The advertising show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. You can visit them online at adage.com and by Walter Carl Interactive at waltercarl.com. That's with a K, K A R L.com. The advertising show with Ray Shillings and uh, Brad Forsyth. It's been fun. Tell your friends about the show and uh, get them to listen in too. Lots of podcasts up there at theadvertisingshow.com. This is a Big Radio Midgets production. <laughs>